Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You're here with your host, Auntie Vice, and it's a great day. I invited Heather Rogue on. She and I work together with the sketch comedy show Trans Schedule. Brilliant comedian, absolutely hilarious. I love seeing her on stage. She's a comedian. She's a great writer. Uh, you have to see her online and all the wonderful things she does. Welcome to the show, Heather. Hi, thanks for having me. This is great. Happy to be here. I just got out of the shower. I, I'm I'm like a bird in the bath. I can get in there and splash around all day. Yeah, it's hard to get out once you get in, definitely. I say that about most of my life, actually. Hard to get out once you've gotten into it. Um, waka but, waka. It's, yeah, it's like my butthole. Exactly. Because I Wide base. Wide based. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, it's good to have you. I wanted to have you on the show for a while because there's just a lot to talk about. You and I met doing comedy, so and you've been doing it for a while. So how did you get into doing stand-up comedy? So I've apparently been doing stand-up for four years, according to um, my Facebook memories. So I got into it because, um, I don't know, like just like um well my friend killed himself and i was really sad and my friend wanted to cheer me up and she brought me to an open mic and i'd never been to an open mic for comedy before i'm a i'm a poet and i've done those kinds of open mics which are really lame um and i hope that i hope that sharon hears me say that um (laughs) because they just uh you know what? They're great. And I love my poet friends so much that are that ever happened to hear this. My point is, I did have, you know, and I was a theater kid, so I had some performing experience. So I didn't really have stage fright, but I'd never done comedy before. And I did it and I, I got something out of it that I didn't get out of anything else performance wise that I did. So I kind of like kept doing it. And then I, I got mad about it. Um, uh, because like, you know, and so like, you know, like how you'll do something because like people will tell you that you can't do it. And so people would tell me that like, you know, they would tell me like, you're not a real comedian. And so I was like, I'm going to be a funnier comedian than you. And now I am. And so that's, I just wanted to do that. So now I can quit because I'm the best in my own head, you know? You really have taken to it to it. I saw you very early on when you started, and, and you've taken the comedy like a duck to water. We've had a couple folks on the show who've done that transition, including myself, from poetry to comedy. What was it you're getting out of comedy that you didn't find in doing all of that poetry and the other creative writing work you do? Um, that's a good question. I guess there's more immediate feedback i think that 
I am a big fan of watching the like I'm a big fan of like also the the since the in the moment kind of sincerity of comedy where it's like it's really a just about creating like these genuine moments and you get to respond in real time to the audience. You get to play off the audience and it's like a really pure form of just like crowd interaction. You know what I mean? It's just like a one-on-one kind of interaction. You don't have, you're not trying to present some art and like hope that they keep their attention or like they can do whatever they want. It's like, no, I'm holding your attention in the palm of my hand and not letting go, you know? I mean, and so I kind of really like that about it. And to do that, you have to be very present and very tuned into the crowd. And crowds can be, they're they're remarkably different night to night, venue to venue. How did you go about honing your ability to tune into what an audience wants? Because that's a very special skill that I think you develop in comedy that you don't get in almost anything else. Well, um, there is some corollary, like the short answer is failure, but there is some corollary practice for back when I was a street performer, because like I've kind of, yeah, I, before, how, how much of my life story do I give right now? So I used to be a street performer, it, like magic tricks and, you know, it's mentalism, hypnotism. And um, I would just like be I, I could guess someone's birthday in in like 10 seconds and so i'd be hitting like person after person after person on the street like with these one-on-one or one on you know up to like five or ten interactions where i'm just like pulling crowds together and having to interact with each person and having to see how do i get a dollar out of this person and so like which is harder to do than a laugh you know what i mean but at the same time, once you got the laugh out of them, you usually got the dollar. So, like, there was definitely um, a correlation there that when I then um, went into comedy, I was finding myself going back and, like, using a lot of the skills that I gained from um, street performing. A lot of your promotions, too, are also kind of guerrilla street performance promotions for your shows and for me i come from a background of you know the pink berets protecting the queer community being out being queer on the street was always dangerous so the idea of doing these guerrilla performances where you're drawing attention to yourself from people is terrifying to me how did you get comfortable with that well i think that like it's it's that's a hard line because there's a balance there because on the one hand the risks are real in the world but on the other hand they're also fake like like they get hyped up in our heads and i think that we we're kind of taught to be afraid especially as women we're taught to be afraid like constantly and then as just uh as human beings we're taught to be afraid we're taught to like fear anyone who looks different right anyone who fits a certain profile or something like that and i really had to like look beyond that and i'm i guess that's i don't know because i'm not gonna say that the risk isn't there because like i have paid the price for for taking risks for being a risk taker i have i've like had violent incidences happen i've been to the hospital um you know and stuff like that so i'm not gonna say that i you know i haven't like paid the price for 
like ignoring the dangers of the world. But at the same time, I just don't want to. Most of the time, there's not really like a danger. And most people just don't want to do something like most of the time when people do violence these days, it's like because they get they're they're really pent. It doesn't happen in a reactive way where you come to them on the street and they're like, oh, no, this is our territory. Like, let's like it's more like they plan something or like they get um, something happens that causes them to then to enact some sort of thing that they've been fought in. And so when you can kind of like, um, when you can take control of that and like um, approach the public, but on your conditions and you choose how it, it happens and you choose, and then you get to start screwing with how the crowd perceives you and start screwing with their perception. So they, they're planning, they, they're expecting to perceive you one way, maybe as a queer person or something. But then they're seeing that, you know, like, I don't know, I'll have my, I'll, I'll hire both protesters. So like, I'll have one group protesting me for being a comedian telling bad, like, uh, you know, offensive jokes. And then I'll have another person protesting me for turning his son gay. And so then they're like at each other's throats, but then they're on the same team at the same time. And so that way I get to like, kind of like anticipate reactions where it's like, you know, yeah, you can come and like be a hater and join i have teams for you like pick your you know your house do you want to be on this team or that team and so i'm like that's part of what i'm trying to do is just like create the right situations where i can anticipate for anything that might happen when i and you know i'm still new to publicity stunts so like i don't know what i'm doing but i'm having a lot of fun and i'm just trying to think outside the box about it and just I don't know. I've been in a lot of hairy situations, I guess, because like when I was a street performer, I was homeless. And so like I've had to, you know, do also I've had to talk to law enforcement. Um, and and uh, I mean, I don't I don't know what um, what kind of example I should give here. But like, I guess what I should say is that you kind of learn a certain just way to interact with certain situations. and just like you need to take precautions to minimize risks without as the anti-vaxxers would say living in fear you know so there, there you go and all of that then do you actually enjoy when you get heckled because you can then manipulate what's going on in the audience i mean some some comedians hate it but you can be you're much more interactive with your audience than most comics that I've seen on stage. Do you actually enjoy heckling on occasion or is it still very off-putting? No, I love being heckled. So I don't even like I don't even care about my set. So if you interrupt my set, I'm like, thank God I'm done doing my jokes. You know, and then I get to just like hone in on you and like see what happens. And sometimes it doesn't work out for me. Like sometimes I'm just like looking for things to say and nothing I'm grabbing at is landing and I'm just like not in the right place. Maybe I'm scatterbrained, you know, for the most part, it, it's, it's like the, the spontaneity of it is just it, where, where a lot of fun happens. So it's not like I'll invite, like I'll actually ask questions to the crowd and then expect answers and then want to see where we can take it. You know what I mean? And I have a lot more fun doing that. And I, I have a lot more fun surprising myself and getting audience laughs out of something. I didn't even know I was going to say that night. 
Yeah, that can always be fun. And then they get worked in the later sets, right? When they're really good, when they're really juicy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm. I got a little. Um, I got a little burp going. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's um, it's definitely a process that I enjoy doing, and I really hope. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll completely forget, you know. So that's why you got to record those sets, but you never think to, especially because a lot of times, um, when I'm not recording and when it's like not something that's ever going to be a tape that I have to send to a booker for you know, a competition or whatever. I just, that's when I really let loose. And then that's when I'll really end up coming up with something and doing like, dang, I need, I need that. You know, what was that? You all, so you don't do just regular stand up. You also have a number of shows. You produce comedy yacht club. That's been one of your longer running shows. You want to talk a little bit about what that is and where that came from? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I've been working with Jesse Jones and stab comedy for since the, since before the pandemic? No. Was it? No, it was It was after the pandemic when News Jobs started. But News Jobs started during the pandemic. And that was my first show where it was a game show that where contestants answered quiz questions in order to avoid hearing the news. And if, when they got the question wrong, I would, I would read a news story. And so then that one, well, um, I turned that one into the live social justice court and um that one became my it just became judge judy but for petty grievances basically i was just trying to beat judge judy and but then like i started when i was doing that when i started to realize how much i just enjoyed the kayfabe and not like the court show at all i was just enjoying like the characters and like the meta plot that was happening with 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 my character and the other people and so I ended up canceling that show. And plus, no one wanted to talk about their petty grievances on television for whatever reason. And so I canceled that show and I replaced it with Comedy Yacht Club, which I decided was just going to be anything that I wanted it to be. Because like I'm always having new ideas. I can't, you know, I always want to make a new show. So it's like, how about every month it's a new show? And, you know, Comedy Yacht Club is just a regular, straightforward stand-up comedy show. And that's how I market it to, you know, at first. And then if it happens to not meet those expectations, you know, that, you, you, well, you shouldn't have, you should have expected, you know, you should have seen a trap coming. Look, look at me, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're also really physical on stage. Uh, did that come out of being a theater kid? Is that something you developed since you've been in comedy? Where does the enormous amount of physicality that you bring to your characters come from? You know, that's funny because like, I think that that does come partially from being a theater kid. Um, so I do have like a little bit of training going big on stage, but then also when I, it's funny because when I first started in comedy, I was really dry and you know, someone someone compared me to Stephen Wright when I was first getting into comedy. And so it's just funny to think about that and then look at me now. And I think part of that is um one of my um one of my uh what would you call him? Um like a like a teacher, one of my comedy teachers uh, taught me um to like play with my range as much as possible. So if I'm if I'm used to performing in one way, I should try and reach as far away from that as I could just to see how far I could get outside of how I'm used to performing. 
And so I started playing around more with physicality. And I think also just like watching certain comedians, like, you know, watching Shannon Battle and what, and seeing what he does, because um, he's a very physical comedian as well. And so like, I took inspiration from, from people like that and really wanted to see if I could um, see what I could do with my body, you know? It's another medium there just to play with. Why would I sit there and ignore it? You, you've you mentioned being the theater kid a couple times. So let's talk about how did you find the theater as a kid? Because we've had a number of folks, including uh, Meg Elison and Gretchen Felker-Martin, who that they found the theater kids because they knew they were different. They just didn't know quite how. And it was the theater kids. Is that what got you into it? Or did you just always love performing? I think that it was more that I loved performing because, to be honest with you, I got kind of outcasted by those theater kids. They were very dramatic and very, um, they didn't tell you to your face what their problem with you was. <laughs> they just told, they just talked about you, which is, I'm finding just a problem with neurotypical people in general. You don't know what you're doing wrong. <laughs> and so, so like, you know, in high school, I usually had like, maybe one or two friends uh, and I was more of the nerdy kid. My friends would play like, you know, RPGs, you know, and, and those kinds of things. But then I was also, so for me, I was really, I think, drawn to the performance of it. I, I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. I remember um, I was an extra in some stupid movie that they filmed because I was born in Truckee. So they filmed this movie in Lake Tahoe and I was an extra. It was uh, the Jack Frost movie. You, you know mm -hmm. that one? Yeah, yeah. And this, this horror movie by the same name came out that same year. And so my family was excited to finally see the movie I was in. And they rented, they rented the wrong movie. And they were like, where's your scene? And I was like, I'm in the snowball fight. We don't see a there's, there's just a snowman murdering people. Which seems um, more in line with who you are now and the type of film you would produce, but... I know it would and you know what's funny is that like I still remember that movie horrified me as a kid you know and now I love horror I can't get enough of it it's just my go-to for movies what got you to switch over from from more you know light-hearted stuff to horror because it does infuse a lot of your work which I absolutely love but it you know not everybody jumps right into horror that's a good question, too, because I don't know. I think it was like just falling down rabbit holes when I was growing up. And um, and, and then, you know, when you when you watch a really intense horror movie, you get kind of a buzz afterwards of like, wow, I just survived watching whatever the heck that was. You know what I mean? And so I kind of, you know, it's interesting just to see what you can and it's just like, I'm just, I was just so like curious, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's the curiosity that really pulls me into like all sorts of things that are um, just, yeah, dark, mysterious, esoteric, you know, I love a good, I love, I love to, you know, a good forbidden knowledge thing, you know. On forbidden knowledge, it's a good good way to transition we are in transschedule together and it is an amazing project that you've put together so introduce the listeners to what transschedule is and then we'll talk about that for a bit 
Well, Trans Schedule is a it's a it's a, it's a live sketch show that we do at Comedy Spot, um, and it's got all trans and non-binary performers, writers, like um, the the whole cast is is trans and non-binary, and um, so and and you know this is something that I did because I got uh, I don't know I feel kind of like alienated from comedians as a trans person, and um, so I realized like you know that i i needed kind of strength in numbers and so i was i just wanted to pull more trans people and non-binary people together and get ourselves like uh um a community so that we could like help empower each other and provide support for each other and then also just like have something that's completely from us so that we get to take control of our jokes and we get to show you know not well make jokes specifically for other trans and non-binary people to enjoy and just entertainment that's dedicated to them as an audience but then also something that would you know help cis people see like what it's really like being trans because they get so much bs fed to them through media and so um it's like kind of like you know trying to counter the 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 fake news about us um and, and and that's why uh, the sketch show was the medium that I wanted to use because then that enables me to like present like realistic situations and interactions that show like just how dumb cis people. It's just Dave Chappelle. It's just the Ch- Chappelle show making fun of white people, but I'm making fun of cis people, and then also trans people making fun of ourselves. You know, we're just copying Key and Peel or Dave Chappelle, but the whoever. Well, and it, it's one of the reasons I love it is it's finally stuff that you're not, if you, if you're trans, if you're non-binary, you don't have to code switch to apply it to you, to feel it's related because so much of the sketch comedy I, I watch, I feel like there's code switching involved in a lot of it to really try and connect with it. And this doesn't, it's interesting in pulling this together. You, you mentioned, you know, running into problems with people who are neurotypical in that they they won't tell you what their problem is. They're not straightforward. And in the writers for this show, I think about half of us are uh, neurodivergent in some. I think some all form. of us are, <laughs> until proven otherwise. I just assume every single person in our group is neurodivergent. I think, and I think there is a corollary between being trans, non-binary, and uh, neurodivergent. I think that this has been well documented that there's at least some symptom crossover and there's there's um still plenty of debate as to where the source of that symptom crossover is um because some of it could be attributed to the fact that when you don't feel at home in your gender it's hard to learn social cues you know what i mean but that's only mm-hmm. just one symptom of neurodivergency and we have uh, all the other ones too you know what i mean it's a it's a it's a nice group and um they're just you know easy people to get along with you know they are they're it's a great group of folks when did you realize you were not neurotypical well um you know i've never been officially diagnosed so it's it's been like an ongoing uh thing where it's more like hearing stories from other neurotypical people right and like hearing stories outside of 
um, how it gets clinically diagnosed and how it gets described by neurotypical people, right? So hearing stories from other neurodivergent people is really what clued me into the fact that it's like, okay, now this is starting to make sense. And then when I learned about ADHD symptoms and how the, you know, basically when you hear ADHD symptoms from an ADHD person, it's very different because you start to get all of the symptoms you actually have rather than just the ones that affect people that have to deal with you. And so that's, I think that's where it started to ring a lot of bells. And I realized like, okay, this kind of hits the nail on the head. I have like all, all of these things, you know. Discovering that, has it changed the way you move through the, you know, you have a nine to five, you do a regular job. Has it changed the way you interact there, understanding that that you don't interact with the world the way most neurotypical people do? Have Has that helped you with some of the work there? Or do you still find, or do you find it difficult to interact with all the neurotypical folks at work? Well, there is definitely something to being able to acknowledge the fact that, that, you know, the world is not designed for you. Society is not designed for you. It's designed for a different type of, you know, uh, neuro, uh, neurological operating system than yours. And just recognizing that can help. It just, it, 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 um, it helps to some extent because it helps me like it, it helps validate the fact that I've had to make a lot of strategies in my life to cope with, but it's like, even before I could name what I had, even before I understood exactly what it was, what I should be diagnosed with, I was still coming up with these strategies in order to deal with it. And so I've been doing that my whole life anyways. And so when I found out that it was ADHD. And then I started looking through here are the strategies for how you can cope with ADHD. It's like, oh, I've been doing I just came up with all these on my own anyways, because I, I had to learn them. And so in that sense, it didn't change too much. Like I don't, you know, I still, I feel like there's a give and take. So I never fall into a victim mentality about it. Like, oh, society's not designed for me. Uh, it, you know, I have so much to be grateful for, for my brain for, you know, um, everything else. So I just work around it. And yeah, there's been issues. I've, it's hard to hold a job when you can't be on time, but I work from home now. And so I can just clock right in. Like I, you know, I'm in this interview right now. I, my hair is all wet and I still need to put on moisturizer and it's fine. I'll do that later. Like I, I know myself, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> at this point. So I, I've, I've got myself figured out. You kind of, society's not designed for human beings in general. Society's designed for someone that does not exist. That's like an ideal worker or whatever. So everyone has to come up with strategies to cope with being in this stupid s system, you know? I don't think there's been anything more true said on this podcast. <laughs> it's Oh, no, it's, it's so hard to cope with all of the different things that you're expected to do to mm. function. And I'm, I, I've never met anybody who just fits right into that. Right. So you talk about knowing that society is not designed for you, not fitting in quite right. How much of that experience paralleled the experience to discovering and figuring out that you were trans? Well, and that's, you know, I think a lot of people feel different in some way. And it's just like, well, what's my thing? Am I this? Am I that? So, you know, being before I figured out I was ADHD, I was wondering if I was um, 
uh, autistic and um, uh, what uh, uh, um, borderline um, uh, just uh, was CPTSD trauma, uh, you know, all these other things. And you kind of go through um, bipolar, you know, you go through all these things. And I think that, that there's like a similar way with um, with being queer where you know that you're different and you know there's something off where everyone else is like, I don't know, there's just something that's not quite right, but you don't quite know what it is because maybe the the word doesn't exist. There's not like us, people don't just like, give you the information of here's all the different types of people and this is what you are and so um it took like a long time it took until i was in my it took until i'd already come out as trans when i was blackout drunk and got my ass kicked by the time i had actually stepped inside of a meeting for trans people and was handed this 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 like sheet of paper that had like gender identities gender spectrum sexual spectrum all of these things and it was like just fill out you know where you feel that you are and i was like my mind was blown i was like wait a minute these things are these are different spectrums i get to like be an individual thing on all of these you know and then it started to click because i think i was like held back from transitioning into womanhood for a long time because i was um attracted to women predominantly attracted to women and like you know i'm somewhat physically attracted to men but mostly just um uh physically i don't really care about them and so i would always like fall in love with women and not want and i want to be what they wanted but you know over time i found out you just can never be what anyone else wants you can only be what you are and so once i embraced that i was able to just be like okay screw everyone else um, if it were my choice, I'd be a woman. And I did that. And um, yeah, where was I? I'm a little scatterbrained. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, so, it's not good. So yeah, so it was like, um, and even that journey was like, am I a woman or am I non-binary? And I didn't know yet until I started taking some, some steps exploring just gender itself. Uh, but the more I realized it, the more I realized, like, I just want to live as a woman. And it yeah um that was i think the way that that happened actually was i was homeless and i got a free makeover and so then after my makeover and i got like a haircut and a new wardrobe so i basically wore drag completely and like i've done that a few times in my life and i would always had this thing where i didn't want to take it off again like i didn't want to take it off like i didn't feel like i was wearing a costume it just so i'd like would you know hate taking it off and go home and cry about it and so um, I just got to a point where, like, they did such a good job with the makeup that I really was, I passed when I looked at myself in the mirror. And so that was a big thing for me, was realizing that I could actually live as a woman and not just be, like, delegated by society into this position of, like, a man in a dress. But then over time as i transitioned into womanhood i realized like society is going to try and do that anyways and you really just have to transcend them no matter what and like really live for yourself and give yourself the gift of womanhood and not expect anyone else to give it to you if that's what's for you you know what i mean and then and embracing that what are the best parts about being a woman for you what what are the because not everything's great about it so the free alcohol. 
Free alcohol? Um, no, um, honestly, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make men really jealous here. Okay, I'm going to make men super jealous. The friendships are better when you're a woman. And it's hands down, like, men are missing out. And they need to get on top of this being friends like women are friends because it's so nice to just like be able to like explain yourself and process your shit and like develop as a mature human being who doesn't need their mommy anymore like i'm telling you guys get on this like bonding with other men thing because it's gonna take you places like and here's here's i have some tips so so men will only hang out over a hobby like if they have like a fishing or a thing that they can do together, then they'll be together in the same space. They'll hang out and then they'll, they might talk a little bit about some of the shit they need to vent about. Women can hang out to do errands together and men don't ever do that. You know, they call it women be shopping, but it's not just shopping. Like we'll help, we'll, we'll take a friend to support them to go to a doctor's appointment, whatever it is. We are just constantly tagging each other along for our excursions and finding excuses to bring our friends into our lives and men don't do that and it sucks it's it just sucks being a man it's just lonely yeah yeah and for folks who listen to the show with kathy reisenwitz which was our last show of 2022 she talks about that extensively this epidemic of loneliness amongst men and it's because they don't get together unless they're going to drink or like, yeah, go hunting, go fishing, do do man things, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the men, also, men have so much loneliness. It's bad. I mean, it, there's so, and there's like plenty of things that they'll do, like the yeah, um, uh, biking, um, video games, uh, watch sports. They have, they have their excuses, but then it's like. You know, and they, and then this is something I realized too, because like the men will also won't hang out with women, um, unless it's like there's some kind of pretense to it. And so that, and that's when I realized, like, yeah, because every time a guy tries to hang out with me now as a woman, oh, they they want something. You know what I mean? And so it's like they're really kind of just, and then they won't be vulnerable with each other because then they can't. They can't just hang out because then what is that? Like, are they going to fuck? You know, they have to have an excuse to hang out. They can't just be present with each other. And I think that it a lot of it is that they are afraid of being vulnerable, you know. And it is hard to be vulnerable. And then a lot of it is that, you know, you don't need know who to be vulnerable to because you might try to be vulnerable to, and the person you're trying is not ready for that either. And so that's where, like, it takes two to tango when it comes to men learning how to be friends with each other. And they don't necessarily know who to reach out to for that, even if they're trying. So they need help, you know? Yeah, there there is quite a lot to it. What has... So, I mean, you've been through these, these massive transitions in your life. Uh, you've mentioned that you ha- were, were homeless for a period. We've had a number of folks on the show who've experienced that. What was enabled you to get off the street and and come back, you know, help with that transition back into to being housed and and now quite successful across the board with comedy, with you know, job and all of that. What helped with that transition? Because it's a huge issue, especially in Sacramento where you're at. I mean, there there are thousands of unhoused people every night. Um, 
well, uh, transitioning gender was the motivation to get off the streets. I didn't really, and like, because I had family, it was more like I was, I was choosing it. Um, because, um, I was able to move back in with my mom on the agreement that I went to school and like got a, a degree and got a job and all these things that I never had any motivation to do because, um, I just hate capitalism. I was an anarchist. I had no, I had no stake in my own life. I was, I lived really recklessly and, um, transitioning changed that because I suddenly wanted to live, you know what I mean? And I wanted to live successfully as a woman and being a woman is like on the far opposite end of being homeless. Like a being, being a man is like, just is like, is like being homeless, but just like less, you know what I mean? Cause you just like, you don't groom yourself. You don't take as much care of yourself. You can't, you, you know, you kind of just uh, are a little dirtier and you just, you don't get it, you know, with homeless people, they have an excuse, they don't have access, you know, but men have any, they could wash their ass, like they have bathroom access, and they just don't do it. And so for me, it was like, to be a woman, I had to be super, I had to, I had to, I had to um, meet all of the expectations of womanhood. And so, like, I really wanted to be successful at that. And so I was really motivated to get off the streets and get my life together um and just like transition my life from being a a a dirty kid gutter punk whatever to being you know being seen as a woman somehow if i if possible and um yeah so then i got into journalism and um that was cool but i didn't like that so now i i then i found stand-up comedy and i really like that and so i'm just and like but I'm also just super, I've always like had this ambition, but it was kind of like, um, I didn't know, you know, where to, it just took a long time to like get things, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta learn a bunch of stuff when you're in life and, and then you get to, and then you can figure out how to be good at, at stuff. And so like, it just took a long time for me to, to learn as everything I needed to learn in order to be able to like put a show together and like run a production and like deal with failure, you know, and, and all of that, but I'm pretty resilient. And so as much as I've failed, I have also adapted and just gotten better and better, you know? And in comedy failures. So inherent to the whole process, you don't get better unless you've had some nights where you've really bombed and, um, I mean that that's how you you learn so much stuff. Has being in stand up and doing stand up changed your relationship to failure in your own life? Uh yeah, absolutely. I mean and yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean cuz I mean I think that also journalism changed my relationship with failure first because I was a perfectionist to the point where I wouldn't take action. And I was kind of paralyzing myself. And and as a writer, specifically, I was paralyzing myself. Uh, then as a journalist, it's like, here's a deadline. Turn in something. Even if you love it, the editor is going to turn it into something you hate. So just turn in something, you know. And 
And so like that really cured me of my perfectionism, especially not even the deadline part so much as just the editing part afterwards where they would take my beautiful thing that I wrote and be like, this is too good. Our readers aren't going to know these words and then just like destroy it. And it made me realize like I am trying too hard for these people. And so now I just dish out failure after failure every month for these people. And they're just like, yes, more content, please. What has been the most fun thing that, you know, as you've gone through this process of, of developing your creative voice and coming into this, this whole persona that you've created on stage and online and everything, what's been the most fun, the most joyous part of that for you? Um, definitely the, the the time that I'm actually on physically on stage is the absolutely best part. I live for that, uh, especially uh, when I'm playing a character that's a lot of fun. Like last month on Comedy Yacht Club, I was playing a faith healer and I was faith healing people. And I got so into it. And I was like really planning on faith healing these people. Like I looked up how to do it. I was doing all the tricks. I was really trying to put these people in under mass hypnosis. And um, I didn't like, you know, I don't think I quite got there. But like, the, the uh, you know, it, it, it's okay to fail because like, they still had a really good time just like laughing at this faith healer character I put together. And, you know, it's that, those kinds of moments definitely are the best part. So we're early in 2023. What's on, on tap? Where do you want to see your work go this year? Where do you want, where do you as a person want to go for the next year? What do you want to happen? Well, I want to um, save all of us from climate chaos and destruction by um, obtaining superpowers. And because we're 90 seconds to midnight of nuclear holocaust. We got we got a, a man named Yay dressed as Mr. Doom parading around in the streets, raising an army of neo-Nazis. We have um, evil billionaires dressed up in, in mechanic suits, creating robot cars that are running people over. And the world needs a hero, you know, and I don't know if that's me, but, you know, if anyone has any sort of experimental power superpower giving thing that they're working on hit me up i'll be your guinea pig because we gotta get we gotta get some superpowers out in these bitches so we can start saving this shit you know we don't have much time 90 seconds that's like that's like a minute if you had your choice of superpowers what would you do that's a good question also because like my go-to is teleportation. I love it. It just seems so like you could do so much with it, but then you also might screw it up and you don't want to screw up teleportation. That's a bad one to mess up. So I guess mind control would be nice. I already know that one though. So if I had one that I didn't already have, I would probably do teleportation. If you could exert mind control and you were at Fox News, what would be the first thing you'd do? Well, they're already under mind control at Fox News. And that basically right, but is you like... you took over it. That basically is like a big... A big um, mind control like section. So I guess you would just... I would, I would, I would very subtly start 
mind controlling through Fox News just like they do, but I would do it in reverse. I would do it to to reverse it. Right. I would make them all believe in the uh, Jesus again instead of whatever dark lord they've glommed onto. Capitalism. Capitalism is their dark lord. Capital- I'm pretty sure. Capitalism. Um, something yes. like that. I think it's it's worse than capitalism at this point. Like they're they're into fascists. They just want you know. I'm not even going to speak to it because here, you know, they can make all their stupid little laws banning us from everything, banning drag, banning whatever. This is screw them. I'll go and do it anyways, and they can shoot me about it. I don't care. I mean, gay people have never made us go away. Right. Exactly. I, I, don't, like, I don't care. What are you going to do? Stop me from having to take a shit? No, you're not. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So if our readers want to find you, follow you, go to your shows, plug all the things. Okay. Well, my name is Heather Rogue, and it's like the X-Men Rogue, because I'm, I'm getting super... It all clicks. Let's see. Uh, so you can find that uh, you just look for that on Instagram. I like to do I like to do what I can. I, I do all my promoting through Instagram at minimum. So if you're following me on Instagram, you're good. But if you don't have Instagram, you know I do have Facebook. But if you don't have either of those, you know uh, I do have Twitter, but I don't promote on there. I don't I don't even post on there on my main account. And I have an alt, but I'm not going to tell you what the handle is. So I don't want you to cancel me because I have hot takes and uh, let's see. And then. Um, I got my, you can, you can also follow trans schedule and comedy yacht club on Instagram and uh, comedy yacht club is at stab comedy theater on, on Broadway in, in Sacramento, Broadway street, Sacramento. And um, it's uh it's third Fridays at 9 PM is when my show is. And then, and then trans schedule, we don't have the new day for that one yet. We almost do. It's coming. The new date's coming soon, but just follow trans schedule so you can keep track of all of our, every, you know, that one doesn't have like a set time of the month yet because we don't do it every month. We do it like we're doing it like every other month right now because, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And we're also still getting our promotions together and stuff. Maybe it'll take off, but for now. And plus, I like to leave and go on tour, you know. So, yeah, stop blaming me, okay? My point is that follow, uh, follow me on my socials. What else we got? I think that's it. Is that it? TikTok? I think that's... Well, I'll have all the links up on our show notes for our listeners. I love talking to you. I love having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. And listeners, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. Do all the things. And definitely follow Heather. Go to our show. She is hilarious. You need to see her when she's coming to a town near you. Walk, walk, walk. Thank you so much walk, for walk, having me. It's been a pleasure. And now, a moment of gratitude. I'm grateful for animals, and especially cute animals are really great. Um, I like, uh, I'm really grateful for. Uh, friendship. I think friendship is magical. Uh, uh, I like my my friends. I like my cast. I'm really grateful for like all the people who are down to work with me and help, you know, form our little Justice League so we can save the world. And 
I'm really, you know, that I think that's so great that people are down to do that with me or trans schedule, whatever we're doing. And, um, I, you know, I could go on. Like I, I'm, I love, I love bees. They're pretty cool. I'm, I'm inside, I'm in a house right now. And you know, that didn't, wasn't always a thing. So I'm pretty, I'm always stoked about every time I think about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's cool. I'm grateful for my ability to control minds, but I wish that I had more superpowers, but that's fine. Cause I'm grateful for what I have. You know, if that's all you get, that's fine. Cause that's probably all that's possible is mind control. You know, we might not get to do anything else, but that one. I'm grateful that I'm like really sexy, uh, like really, really sexy. I mean, I, at first I wasn't because I because it makes people jealous. I don't like hurting people with jealousy. But I decided, you know what? That's on them because they need to get sexier. Because anyone can do it, you know. It just costs money, and so I'm really happy about that. Um, I'm grateful that I that I have um, two. I have both my feet still. I never lost them. Uh, and um, I'm grateful for soup. You know, I really like soup. And um, I'm grateful that I'm really good at eating pussy. All right, that's it. That's all I got. for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.